Hey there, guys and gals, it's me, El Capitan Muerte himself, Captain Death, here to tell you guys about an exciting new announcement I have that I'm going to put online here for a couple of the episodes. We have a new merch store up on redbubble.com, www.redbubble.com, backslash people, backslash El Capitan Muerte. Uh, you know, buy a sticker. It's like three bucks. Have have fun. You know, you do you. Uh, anyways, uh, moving on to the show. Uh, thank you all so much for your patronage, and stay spoopy. Crystal from the movies. Billy Crystal's fun. Yeah. I always liked his voice work. I wonder how old he is now. Ninety-five? Ninety-eight? Is sixty something? No. Fifty something? No. Much older. Really? So eighty-nine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't th- I don't think that's right. <laughs> I don't think that's correct. I think he's at least a hundred, <laughs> if not older, much older. <laughs> um, seventy-two. <laughs> just, is that the is that the age that's that you're just okay guess. with going? That's with? my okay. real guess. I'm not gonna Google it, so we're just gonna go with seventy-two. <laughs> oh. Billy Crystal's now seventy-two years old. All right. Hopefully that works out for him. I I have a list. This is a list episode. Uh, we're not going to be reading stories on this episode. We're going to be talking things on this episode. This is a talk show episode. We have done this a couple times, uh, but n- not yet with with Mark Rooster. We uh, this is episode one hundred and forty three. I don't even know what I'm going to name this because we're just, we're going to jump around the fucking board for a little bit. And I think the first thing I wanted to ask you about was how you came to know about the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. Uh, Mahoning Drive-In Theater in Lehigh Inn. I didn't know about it before they started running it as a retro theater. Uh, five years ago, I think, and I saw it on Facebook and thought it looked cool that somebody was showing 35mm movies. I think they had a John Carpenter weekend with oh, that sounds great. Escape from New York and The Thing, something like that, and I just thought, I wonder, that must be far away, and then I found out that it was closer 
one of my friends said that they would drive by it up at Jim Thorpe, and I thought, oh, it's it's someplace nearby, and then I realized that they were starting to do shows with the Exhumed Films people from Philadelphia. So you had and known about Exhumed earlier than you knew about Mahoning? Yeah, I'd already been going to Exhumed shows okay. for several years, and then I found out that they were doing something called Camp Blood, where they were one night playing Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th 2, and Friday the 13th the final chapter. And so uh, that was towards the end of the summer. I'm like, all right, now I definitely have to check this place out. <laughs> and I went up there, and there were a lot of people. And the guy, I believe his name is Jeff, the projectionist, he was the one at the ticket booth that night, and he said... He seemed really surprised by all the people. He's like, hey, how did you hear about this? And I said, because of Exhumed. And he's like, oh, okay. And I went in, and there were just so many people. And I thought, wow, like there's this many people who want to watch Friday the 13th movies at a drive-in? And then it's how just gotten bigger that? since then. How great is that, though? Oh, it's fantastic. And sometimes they get a packed crowd there for movies that aren't even on the level of Friday the 13th. Like... They do a VHS weekend. Right. That's not that's not sponsored, co-sponsored with Exum. That's just the Mahoning guys, and they get a full audience out there. Like the whole drive-in is practically filled for some of the lousiest, most god-awful <laughs> shot-on-video movies that you could imagine. That are only good if you're absolutely drunk. <laughs> and. They just get tons of people out there, and so they've got a following that, at least for the horror shows, there are a certain number of people are going to come out no matter what they're showing, as long as you know it's not it's totally storming out or something. And I think that's fucking amazing. Yeah, they get some. I've been. I go to some of their other non-horror shows. Sometimes those are the ones that it's easier to find somebody to go with me to go to. Right. Um. I went out to one recently, they had uh, high school comedies, raunchy high school comedies from right. the 70s and 80s, Yeah. and I went out to that on kind of an overcast sort of night, and they didn't have an enormous crowd, it wasn't like for the horror shows, but it was still a really decent crowd for, again, some really terrible movies. Yeah. That weekend had the unfortunate title of Teens Gone Wild Weekend, Right. which... To it me, it doesn't like, necessarily sound like Animal House ripoffs. It sounds no, like it's else. not very National Lampoon of them. <laughs> I didn't buy the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Too many questions. Um, I I remember stumbling onto Mahoning <clears throat> during this show, during this podcast. I would say, right into the um, into the what I would call the second season of this show, which is like after we had been doing it for a year, and um. I I had been told by numerous people that I needed to see Suspiria and just because of like something I would have been watching with them they would be like oh you ever see Suspiria the one about the the witches and I was like no I've never really gotten into Italian horror before and they were like that's okay but like you need to see Suspiria and I was like okay and I had never seen it and I was researching it, and I was trying to find a way to watch it, and I, w I even got as far as downloading uh, a copy of it to my hard drive, but I had just never gotten around to watching it, 
And um, one of the weekends when I was Googling it, trying to, like, look back, look it back up and try to get more interested in sitting down and watching it later, I realized that Mahoning was doing <clears throat> not just Suspiria, but Suspiria into Haosu. And, like, I remember recording an episode pretty much, like, the weekend I came back. Um, and I talked about how much I loved Haosu. And, because I had already seen that. That was something I had watched with a couple of my friends already. And how much I enjoyed seeing Suspiria at Mahoning. And I even had a friend who I ran into there, who apparently goes there all the time. And, um, he, um, he was just like, you finally made it out here. And I was just like, yeah. So, like, I knew all along that I was going to like that place. I just never really gave myself the push to actually go out there until they had something that I hadn't seen that I really wanted to see. And I got to see it under a really great circumstance. And then I got to watch a movie I actually like after it, you know? So the, t the two firm made sense to me. All on wonderful 35 millimeter film. Yeah, all, all, like the, uh, seeing Haosu on film with the subtitles was, was great. And seeing Suspiria on film in that, you know, pitch black on a nice summer night. Um, I remember, like, going that first time just getting torn up by mosquitoes. I was finding bites all over my body for a week. Um, but, uh... I, I learned the next time to wear something long-sleeved and nice. I was sitting there in a t-shirt and shorts my first time I went there. I regret that. I love Mahoning. I think what those guys are doing are, is great. If you're in Pennsylvania, if you're on the east side of Pennsylvania, you're, you're north of Philly just a little bit. Um, you know, in between Philly and northeastern PA, Lehighton area... Mahoning Drive-In. They, uh, they have some, like, countrywide recognition for being one of the dopest drive-ins in existence. I wanted to talk about my experiences there with you, because after meeting you, I pretty much decided, like, oh, fuck, like, he goes there all the time. Then that means I'm gonna have more excuses to go over there and watch cool shit. And you and I have already been there in the last couple months of talking have already been there like five or six times together and they had they had had a lot of really good showings there um this year specifically um i'm i'm upset with how intoxicated and high i was for when they did jaws and jurassic park because i fell asleep near the end of jurassic park and then i fell asleep like almost as soon as jaws started you did fall asleep pretty much immediately. I fell asleep I right had before had, Quint got eaten. I had, <laughs> you're very upset with yourself. <laughs> um, I had had a really long fucking week, and I was just not sleeping well, and then I get out there, and it's just cold and nice, and I'm watching a movie that I know and love, and I'm just comfortable bundled up under a blanket, passed right the fuck out. You also kept passing me a pipe and kept egging me to smoke with you. You're like, oh, you're not going to smoke? You're not going to smoke with me out here? Oh, I see you're not going to smoke with me. Like, you got me so fucking stoned that I just fell asleep. I think you were drinking whiskey, too. I was something. drinking whiskey, yeah. but I... 
that keeps my cheeks warm. You put down a couple bottles of whiskey. It was more that, <laughs> more that than anything. No, it was the weed. Weed puts me to sleep. But um, the other thing is that one thing that Mahoning it does is they have a long intermission between movies, whether it's a double header or a lot of times they do a triple feature. Uh, right. They they do have kind of a long break between movies, and that's great for the social aspect, which they like to really make the most of there, and you know, yeah, people talking have, and conversation. They have talks, and, and recently they've been having stars from the movies come down. Or directors, which is cool, but Very then cool. it doesn't work out well for those of us who fall asleep, uh, you know, end up falling asleep before the last movie. I don't think I ever see the third movie on a triple feature there. I, I haven't I tried. want to. I've left after the second one almost every time. I just end up falling asleep. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could try to just go and watch them sober, but well, not for that VHS weekend. That's Where's sure. the fun in that, though? <laughs> Where's the fun I in that? I was disappointed that I fell asleep during Jason Goes to Hell at the <laughs> Camp Blood recently because right. that was the last Friday the 13th movie that I'd never seen in any kind of theater on film. Well, that's what they were playing third, though, right? Yeah, it was the third movie. And we I went just, in expecting it to be our first. No, we went in there expecting it to... Right. Didn't we expect it to be our first showing of the night? And then they decided... No, it was always supposed to be Stepfather. Now, what happened was uh, the film print of Stepfather, the, the studio sent him the remake. They let it play for about ten minutes and then stopped it. And then came over the the intercom saying that you know the theater sorry the studio sent us the wrong movie we're not going to show this so we're going to jump ahead to the next movie which was popcorn i remember the terminology he said was we're not going to continue watching this piece of shit <laughs> yeah yeah he wasn't having it i mean you know i was excited to see the 1987 stepfather of course same. but i didn't think the remake was half bad on that one i same I just think he really intended us to, to watch the other ones. So yeah. And so plus, he was just simply mad that that had happened. Yeah. It, it wasn't how... It, it didn't fit in with the rest of the movies. You know, they're all from that late 80s, early 90s time period. So I... We, we can actually talk about that one first, if you want. Um, I mean, I, I was going to go in chronological because the first one... <clears throat> that we had seen there that I really enjoyed was when we went and saw Night of the Creeps and Night of the Demons. And I actually liked both of those movies. And um, I remember dosing during one particular sequence in Night of the Demons, but I ended up still waking up in the last act and enjoying the rest of the movie. Um, Night of the Creeps was a lot of fun. I remember thinking that that's the type of shit that I think James Gunn grew up with and found funny, and that's why he, like, one of the first movies he made when he was uh, directing was, like, Slither, and he was just, he wanted to do a, a gross-out feature about little slugs. Yeah, like a send-up of the sci-fi, you know, aliens kind of stuff from the 50s. Right. And that's Night of the Creeps pretty much does a send-up of a lot of different sub-genres, including that one and Slasher, um, you know, the whole slugs from space, and then at the beginning, the black and white with the guy, the axe murderer, <laughs> escaped from the asylum. They kind of go through everything. The 
director of that movie, Fred Decker, he's, I think he's written more than he's directed. He directed three movies, Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, and RoboCop 3. I like Monster Squad. And I think after RoboCop 3, they didn't let him direct anything for a while. <laughs> um, but he still writes. He, he co-wrote the screenplay for the new Predator movie, which didn't was, really turn out how I think anybody was wanted really it to. Good. No, it definitely wasn't. That's a nice way of putting it. But uh, I don't know that that was necessarily his fault. That movie just reeked of last-minute changes and reshoots. Absolutely. But Fred Decker, he's a pretty smart guy, and the he has commentary tracks for all three of the movies that he's directed. They're all worth listening to if you're into that kind of thing. I am. But yeah, Night of the Creeps is just a really fun movie. I saw it when I was a kid, and it scared me. And then when I was older, I appreciated it. It didn't necessarily scare me so much, but I appreciated all the humor and the different references. Almost every character is named after a different horror director. I hadn't seen it before. They had... Uh, that movie, of course, stars um, Blake Lively's brother. Jason Lively. Jason Lively. Who European was, Vacation. Right, and he was there at the Mahoning. And while drinking a Pabst, doing a Q&A, told everybody that he lost his virginity to the girl who shows him her boobs in Germany in European Vacation. Which is fun. He said that he was 16 and she was 26. Nobody asked him about this. He just... Almost as though he was bragging, in a way. That's <laughs> I okay. think he was a little drunk. It was kind of awesome, actually. I, I thought really it was hilarious. Q&A. I liked that story. Yeah. Because I had... That was one of the first movies where I saw a pair of tits. It was was Airplane and European Vacation is like the two movies my dad didn't keep under lock and key. That when I was like 10, I had watched them because I thought they were very funny movies. They don't really show boobs in PG-13 movies nowadays. No, you can't. I I don't know if you can't or if they just don't do it because of... I don't know. Could you could you show boobs for two seconds like they do in Airplane and less get away stoned, with it now? Less stoned. Listen, no, Airplane was rated R. European Vacation was rated R. No, nope. you're wrong about both of those. Weren't they? Mm-mm. I don't know if the if the MPAA wouldn't allow it in a PG-13 movie nowadays, or if it's just that the studios don't do it. I'm kind of curious. That there's no way to know. Less stoned listeners, let us know. <laughs> Google it. Get us an answer. Interact there's no with way, us. There's no way to know. Tell us, do tits show up in PG-13 movies? And why not? Um, I can't think of the last PG-13 movie I saw that had tits. Because, like I said, I, th- I immediately categorized tits with an R rating, which is why I'm surprised that neither of those are R-rated movies. No, they're not. They're, Airplane is PG because there was no PG-13. And European Vacation actually has two scenes with nudity, but is PG-13. I, uh, I, I grew up in a time where uh, my, my family tried to hide anything PG-13 or R away from me, and then very slowly as I got older, my dad was very okay with showing me R-rated things as I reached the age 10. And um, I just uh, always assumed that anything I wasn't shown as a child was rated R afterwards. Like, anything that wasn't Disney was rated R. Well, the ratings were different back then, too. And 
you know, my parents, when I was eight or nine, maybe would want to know more about a movie that was rated PG-13. Nowadays, everything's rated PG-13, it seems like. If it's PG, I think nowadays that means kids' movie. So I don't know... <laughs> that means kids' movie. That's a kids' movie, yeah. But when I was a kid, sometimes PG-13 movies had boobs in them. Or some kind of... Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Timothy Dalton James Bond movie, License to Kill. Yeah. A guy's leg gets eaten by a shark. Another guy's head explodes. It explodes. <laughs> they don't cut away. I love that. <laughs> you wouldn't. You couldn't. I don't think that you could show a scene that graphic in a PG thirteen movie now. They're definitely not as bloody. No, and I know that they continually try to push what PG thirteen can get away with in a lot of films nowadays. They go right up to what the line is. They really do. But down, the line is the very, different than it used to be. Down to the very T. Like, I remember they, um, when Deadpool was getting made, the director was like, we could have made this PG-13 without one scene and several nipples. And the scene is um, when the dead body smacks the one sign and just blows up in blood and guts everywhere. And the strip club scene. Those are like the two scenes they couldn't show yeah. in Deadpool. And the director was just like, could I have cut those scenes? Could I have put stuff over the stripper's tits in the stripper scene and say... Like, apparently you're allowed to show like eight nipples in a PG-13 movie, but you can't show like anything more than that. That doesn't so you sound could have like real. four naked women, but you can't have like. That doesn't sound real. <laughs> no, that is exactly how this fucking guy described it. He was like, you could have two topless women in one scene in a PG thirteen movie, but the minute you add three or four, so is that the is it that goes your to R rated? So you can they they still are allowed to do it. I think so. It's just nobody does do it. I think exactly because when you want many tits in a in a movie, the movie always usually goes in a more R-rated direction anyway. Anyway, nipples is one of the reasons. I'm not making that up either. Nipples is one of the reasons why Deadpool had to get an R rating. I know do that you, for a fact. <laughs> I know you're going to talk about this later, but do you know if Three From Hell that we saw recently, was that rated or was that not rated? I, I think th that might have been so, unrated. So, in the Fathom Events one that we watched... Yeah. Um, pr zombie, did you get the, the special greeting message? No, I saw it the next night where we got a behind-the-scenes afterwards. We didn't okay, get so we had the, the pre-screened message ahead of mine, and I'm 95% sure Zombie himself says, so this movie comes out in, like, three weeks, pay-per-view rated R... You guys here tonight are going to enjoy an unrated version okay. here I as kinda a part of Fathom so. events. And I think, I think the version we saw was unrated. It seemed like it was, but at the same time, they can get away with so much more nowadays right. in an R-rated movie that I don't always know. It seem, sometimes seems very arbitrary what they, is and what isn't. They didn't ID me um, when I told them what movie I was seeing, because I bought the ticket online. Um, and I think... Yeah, I think um, there was some type of pop-up about the rating of this film when I bought the ticket online. 
I guess you could get away with that if it's a Fathom Events release better than if it was a... Limited release. A regular release. Right. You wouldn't... Even if it was just select movie, uh, select theaters for a select date, like a limited release thing, he probably would have had to go through a different system. But the fact that it's a premiere three-night, like, event and, release... Right, and it's run by the Fathom people who a lot of their stuff isn't rated. Now, right. usually it's, you know, an Italian guy singing Opera. for three hours who's not rated... Uh, mm-hmm. You wouldn't expect there to Opera be Opera or concerts is what Fathom tends to do. But, right. But I've also seen them do sports. They've done live sports broadcast in theaters. I saw them do a double feature of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein a couple okay. of Halloweens ago. That was That's pretty cool. Awesome. They also do the, the, the Ghibli Fest, Studio okay. Ghibli. So I've seen a couple of the Studio Ghiblis, even for my first time. Like in high school, they were still doing Ghibli Fest. Or maybe Ghibli Fest was owned by um, AMC back then. I think AMC did Ghibli Fest in, when I was in high school, but I think it got picked up by Fathom Events, or it was always Fathom Events, and I'm just, you know, mislocating that in my brain. But yeah, we can move forward. Um, I don't really remember what to say about Night of the Demons anyway, other than I thought it was cool. Um, it definitely reminded me of Evil Dead, more specifically the second one where, um, they didn't have, like, the rights to Evil Dead 1, so they kind of remade the first movie in the second movie, and then made the second movie kind of the first movie, which I always think is funny. Um, Night of the Demons kind of felt that way, like, kind of aware of itself, not really aware of itself, but kind of a movie about kids who get in over their head with some demon spell shit and it starts to possess them and they start to kill each other and shit. It's very, um, easy to follow. I didn't, I liked the effects. I thought the special effects were cool. All their teeth and eyes and the stuff that happened when they would get possessed and shit. Um, I can't particularly tell you anything about the characters or any of the the deaths. I just remember being stoned and laughing and having a good time. Uh, Night of the Demons 2 is also good. And then there was a remake with Edward Furlong and Monica Kina. It was also pretty good. I didn't know that. And there's a Night of the Demons 3, but I can't remember it very well. What's the remake called? Night of the Demons. Okay. It's from, I think, 2010, maybe. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, the next thing we saw together, um, and then this is the last thing I, I wrote down for Mahoning Drive-In, just to kind of give them credit where credit is due. Um, we recently watched, like, High School, or what was it called, Prom Night Horror Films, and the first one was, a uh, Popcorn. We watched Popcorn and Cutting Class. And, uh... Man. That was the same night with Jason Goes to Hell. And right. Stepfather. Was it? Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be Stepfather. Yeah, Cutting Class and Popcorn. Popcorn is okay. I've seen it a couple times now and probably good on it for a while. I really liked <laughs> Popcorn. I like Popcorn a lot. I don't think it's, like, amazing, but I think it's really funny. And I liked the effects. And I liked the movies inside the movies. I remember laughing at each of the movies that the audience goers were watching that they kept 
trying to scare everyone during, because one of them was like a Japanese movie about a smell that kills people, and I, I, yeah. I remember finding that really funny, and then <laughs> one of them was a black and white creature feature about a giant mosquito. I thought that was fucking great. It, like, pops through the roof and sucks a guy's brain out his skull. It's fucking hilarious. Um, even the effects in the films are good. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun watching that. Um, uh, the third one is, like, a radioactive man, except he's electric. The electric chair man or something. Um, yeah, all three of those films inside the films were very fun. And I ended up thinking that the, um, the wraparound narrative was actually the weakest part of the movie, um, because I didn't find the cult guy very compelling, and I thought his special effects for his face was just really tough to get past. Well, hard to believe. Well, I, I just, he couldn't announce his words very well. I thought they'd ADR his lines but they kept the live recording. I was like, why? ADR this guy's fucking lines. It sounds awful with his mouth all muffled from the special effects across the sides of his lips. Fucking stupid. <laughs> they, they wanted that realistic sound. I couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought Popcorn was really fun. That, that lead actress is very attractive. I was glad to see her. She was there as a... It's been like forty years, and she's still she's still hot. <laughs> yeah, it was, she she didn't do a Q and A, but did they have her talk? No, you know what? They had her participating in the games beforehand. Yes, there at, were games. Yeah, at Camp Blood, they always have games. They have a tug of war, and she was choosing the teams. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we watched Cutting Class, which I didn't like as much. Um, and. It stars Brad Pitt, <laughs> and I remember just finding him very charming and fun in the movie, and his the writing is so bad. It's kind of like watching Brad Pitt act his wife through, like, what could have been, like, his The Room. <laughs> like The dialogue is very, very bad. The dialogue and, and this, uh, the, the framing of the scenes and, like, the characters... The, f the fucking behaviors of the all the teachers in that school the janitor, the principal the math teacher like they're all fucking terrible ideas <laughs> but it ends up being a very good movie I didn't, I wouldn't say very good <laughs> I would say entertaining, it's an entertaining movie very entertaining I think Popcorn was better and better crafted and more more meaningful um, but I would say cutting class is fun. I wouldn't say it's regrettable. Um, delightful, you might say. <laughs> delightful. <laughs> Spectacular. I have it on my list. I'm, I'm gonna order a copy on Blu-ray pretty soon, actually. Are you really? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it again. You liked cutting class that much? Yeah, actually, after, after it ended that night, I said, I'd like to have a copy of that. I really <laughs> would. I'd like my own. It'll go great with a movie called Scream for Help from the 80s that I saw at an exhumed show a year or two ago that came out on Blu-ray since then. And Scream for Help is a movie that you would absolutely love. 
Okay. And it's got worse dialogue and, and <laughs> it's worse everything than Cutting Class, but with some really hilarious stuff. There wasn't, there weren't too many hilarious moments in Cutting Class. It was mostly just delightful and entertaining. But there, Scream for Help has some stuff that's just, you know. You know the hilarious moments in Cutting Class? What's that? The dad surviving every bad thing that happens to him and still, like, showing up and... Like, I remember cheering for the dad who gets, like, shot and left for dead when he's, like, covered in mud rolling down the hill <laughs> trying to get back to his just daughter. Just doing his best. And he's, like, bleeding out and he's crawling across the road and you just... You, you think Brad Pitt's character, because of how terrible of a driver he is, that he's just gonna run this dad over after the week... This guy has been crawling through the mud with a fucking arrow shot through his chest. Having the worst weekend. <laughs> that he that he was going to end up getting hit by the car that Brad Pitt drives terribly throughout the film. But uh, he ends up surviving and they pick up the dad. And, <laughs> and it's, it's like a happy ending. <laughs> like, come on, dad. It's like, let's get you some help. <laughs> it's like, no shit. I remember clapping and laughing. I, I guffawed every time they cut back to the dad. I was like, he's still alive? <laughs> like, <laughs> he was shot with an arrow two days ago. Um, I thought that was fucking hilarious. All right, you're right. There are laugh-out-loud moments in cutting class. I would just say it's the dad. I, I mean, maybe the maybe the bad guy's eyebrows a couple times made me laugh. He has a very expressive face. Um, the math problem I laughed at. The math teacher is like has to answer like a math problem to save his life, um, and and subsequently save the main girl's life. And he he does all this math jargon, and he's like, yes, yes, that is the answer. It has to be the answer. And he goes for the door that he think is the right answer, and he opens up, and he's like, see, I told you, I'm a math jargon. And the guy comes up behind him and hits him in the head with an axe, says something like, let me ask you a question. Yeah. He says something like that, and he just spikes him in the head with it. And I was just like, yeah, that was pretty good. I remember laughing at that. A good axe pun. Yeah. Do you like the movie Jack Frost? No. The Killer Snowman? No, I really don't. He's got an axe pun. I remember he only axed the guy for a smoke. <laughs> he ended up axing him. I, um, I watched that movie in high school with several of my friends on, on drugs. And um, it was bad. It was too real? It, it all was, became too real for you. It was too scary, Mark. It scared me. It was a Jack scary Frost movie. came out of the TV. It was a scary movie. Yeah, just point, like that VHS cover, we knew the holographic. We had to turn it off. The holographic VHS cover where you tilted it one way, he's like yeah. kind of in the background, and you tilt it the other way, and it's just his face on the entire VHS cover. Yeah. That company that put that out, Apex Entertainment, yeah. you could they had a lot of stuff on the shelves in Blockbuster around that time and if you saw Apex's label on the side, you pretty much knew it was going to be lousy. Yeah, you also knew that it was going to look nothing like the VHS cover. Yeah. Like, I remember the Jack Frost VHS cover has... He has these big green eyes, and his mouth is, like, drooling something. In the movie, like, his eyes are just black coal, and his mouth, like, looks like a rubber mask moving yeah. for, for all of the... It's not that impressive. It's very bad. Um, yeah, Popcorn Cutting Class, both of those were a good time. Um, 
And then I want to get into some more recent shit for us to talk about. Um, and I guess this is relevant because we were just talking about PG-13 and what you can get away with in horror. And um, I thought Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was pretty entertaining. It was. I liked the setting. I liked the time period nature of it. I also thought the kid actors were pretty good. The only one I didn't like is the only other one that survived. Oh. To give uh, to give that away without giving it away, really. Um, I thought the two main kids were good. I thought the two supporting kid friends were were pretty good. Um, when they went missing, I got I actually got pretty sad. I was like, oh, they're dead. <laughs> it's like that one who gets dragged under the bed and the one who gets fucking consumed by the white lady in the hospital. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that was um that was tough. Um I thought the uh the special effects were great. I I I very I was actually very scared by several of the ways it was shot and set up. Um the only the only monster I didn't like was the one that was on the screen the longest, which is the um Mitai Dodi Walker. Mitai Dodi Walker. Um that that one just stuck around on the screen too much, although I did like its gimmick is that because the story is about all its limbs coming down the chimney at different times, that means it could kind of rearrange its body in different ways to get through things. <laughs> I thought that was pretty neat. Um but he just kind of screams shit for the entire last 15 minutes as he chases the one character around trying to trying to kill him. And the dog didn't talk. No, the dog didn't talk. It just made Which me... is the key part in the story for me. I agree. I agree. I thought the dog should have started going. The dog was supposed to say, Leechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy-keechy
with all the stories from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's two episodes. Um, I forget everything. Because <laughs> the stories are very short and simple. They are, and those illustrations... Those Stephen Gamel's illustrations are the reasons those books were popular. And then a few years ago, they republished them with new illustrations that weren't as scary. But I was glad to see in the bookstore the original versions back. Yeah. So they, I don't know if those newer, less scary versions are already out of print. Did those come and go? No, um... I think Scholastic had the reprint, and Scholastic got the guy who did, um... Series of unfortunate events to do the illustrations for that one, and then when they were doing an anniversary print, um, I think an anniversary of Alvin Schwartz's death, um, they re released the scary stories to tell in the dark with the original Stephen Gamel like chosen illustrations. So they all exist side by side. I don't think any of them are out of print, okay. Um, we're going to read the second book and the third book at some point. Um, I was trying to get people together to read the the second book with me before the movie came out, but that didn't happen, so people are just going to have to wait on that. We did read the first book on two episodes, though. I had different people on different episodes. We read all of the first scary story, this To Tell in the Dark book, because it's kind of a urban legend compendium with very short, simple stories, and I think it's a really good fit for the show. Um, and also, like most of the people I've had on, read that, read that series as a kid. You know, we all, we all had the same macabre interests, and we all saw the creepy illustrations and picked up those books when we were younger. Um, what else about that movie? What did you think about that movie? I liked it. I didn't think the kids were as memorable as you did. Um, I, I liked that they did a... It wasn't an anthology movie, but just like with the Goosebumps movie, they were creative with how they adapted something that would be difficult to really adapt. Um, you know, in the Goosebumps book, instead of adapting one of the Goosebumps stories or several of them, they had the character of R.L. Stein in it and had this whole way of unveiling his creations that I thought was pretty creative. Yeah, and they Jumanji'd it. In this movie, the kids are on the... They have their story going on, and their story involves them reading these other smaller stories. Yeah, they I would find have, a book full of small stories. Yeah. I, I would have liked to see more of the stories from the Scary Stories books in there. Oh, agree. It, it was still pretty good. I liked it. I thought the director's visual style them. was nice. They allude to them. I remembered, like they, like, they don't read the Wendigo, but the Wendigo was one of the cooler stories. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they are, like, implying that the Wendigo is about, like, her father and her brother, like the, the woman who wrote the stories and the narrative of the, of the movie. Um, which I thought was neat. Um, yeah, they allude to several more of them because the woman got revenge on... Not only her entire family, but certain members of the town through her stories, and that's kind of the plot. As you know, this book is like an urban legend, and a bunch of people went missing and died a bunch of years ago. And, um, you know, they by reading the book and recognizing the names of the people who went missing, 
they're able to like put things together and say like, oh, well, this lines up with the time that this person went missing and they went by this nickname and like, oh my god, like these are the ways they, you know, got lost and then they start to see their names pop up and that's kind of the, the catalyst in the movie is when the first person goes missing and they kind of go, oh, that's kind of weird. Didn't we just read a story about that guy going missing? Well, that's not right. And, um, you're right. I think the mechanism is neat. They probably could have done it, um, a bunch of different ways. Part of me almost would rather have had an anthology movie where they just cut it up into segments and just do it that way, because I, I wanted to see more segments than what was in the movie. Like, they give you this plot line about the mom, like, running away after the child was born, and, like, that's why the main character is, like, a loner. And, like, it comes back, like, four times, and it's like, alright, well, this has been hashed out four times over the course of this movie, when, when are we gonna get more spooky shit? <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then it ends with this, like, I would coin it as kind of laughable 80s ending, which is, like, two of the characters look at each other and they're like, but that's what we're doing now. And like, this is how, so the things in this movie happened, but there's more happening now. And that's where our story will go next. And they like look at each other and then they like look at the audience through the screen and then, you know, it fades to black and I'm sitting there in my seat and I'm just like, is this gonna get a sequel? Why would they end it like that? That's really bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, don't sure. ever end a movie with a to-be-continued sign. I'm sure that, like everything, they're hoping it'll be the beginning of a franchise. I don't know, did it do well enough to get a sequel? I, I think anything. so. I think so. Um, I thought it was directed really well. Um, I, I definitely saw the Guillermo del Toro inspiration with all the creature design. Um, I loved the creature design. I thought the creature design was very fun. It was. Um, and, and, you know, bringing it back, like, I think it's a very effective PG-13 horror movie. It's definitely not a children's movie. But, um, but I mean... It, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think in the same level of scariness and whatever as something like... Well, I was going to say The Ring, but no, The Ring is maybe a little more sinister. The Ring but is definitely a little bit more it, There's up. definitely scary stuff, and, and it's dark. Uh, thematically, it's definitely not a children's movie. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I, I had a good time. I had a better time than I expected I was going to have, and um, that was all I really could say about that. I enjoyed it pretty thoroughly. The next thing I saw, I had, uh, I, I was out on a date, and, um, I know that they say not to, like, go and see movies on dates, because it's, like, you can't really talk, and, like, isn't that the purpose of a date? But I always like when I meet, like, a girl who can kind of just shut up and watch a movie. And, um, we were talking at dinner, and she had mentioned that she really likes horror movies, and... I asked her if she had seen this, and she said no, and I asked her if she wanted to see it, and there just happened to be a showing starting in, like, the next hour, so we 
putzed around at dinner just a little bit longer than usual in order to go see this movie. Um, and uh, I'm talking about Ready or Not, the movie about the woman who gets married to uh, an heir of a like a board game empire of a family, and they have a tradition of playing a game at midnight on the night of anyone in their lineage getting married, and apparently the only game that you don't want to pop up on that list is hide-and-seek, because if it had been anything else, the family could have spared that person that year, and they could have married into the family and lived happily ever after. But if hide-and-seek comes up, the family has to murder the person and sacrifice them to the devil who is keeping their family alive and prosperous at what they do, which is have a lot of power and make a lot of money. And I thought that was great. I actually really enjoyed the movie. I really liked the ending, and I really liked the main actress. Yeah. I thought I thought she was fantastic. Samara Weaving from The Babysitter. Did you? That's see that what one? I saw her from. Yes, I did see Babysitter. I thought Babysitter was good too. Yeah, she's great. The cast of the movie was, ready or not, was all they all did a great job. I liked um, everyone. Yeah. It's it's a really fun, gory, funny, darkly funny movie. In some ways, reminded me of your next. Yes, blend I, of dark humor, action, and horror. I think Ready or Not is a better version of Your Next, but Your Next is also trying to be like a different movie. Yeah, there, it was a, it was definitely a very good time. I would say that after Midsummer, this was my favorite horror movie of the summer. Well, I don't want to talk about that. We talked about Midsummer. <laughs> we talked about Midsummer. Yep, that's my, on my a, favorite one of the summer. The last movie review episode we did was like 50% Midsummer, and I I wasn't in love with it. So I'm good. <laughs> I know you weren't. We're going to not but talk I about it. I thought Hereditary movie. was the best horror movie of the summer before. <sighs> we just don't agree on this. <laughs> He's a very good filmmaker. He has, he's very craft, he's very good at crafting things, and I love how his movies look. I just don't like the writing or where things go half the time. <laughs> I thought Ready or Not was very funny. It reminded me of Cabin in the Woods a little bit, the kind of awareness of everyone. Because um, once, once she starts to like realize that she's in a fight-to-the-death situation... She almost kind of starts to own it and, like, say, like, I'm not going to, like, sit here and die. Like, I'm going to arm myself and I'm going to try to fight back against this family. I'm not fucking going out of here without, you know, um, I'm going to do it kicking and screaming. You know, you're not just going to kill me. Um, I thought that was great. Um, I also, up until the very, like, last minute, I kept saying, like, oh, there's going to be, like, some sort of misunderstanding here. Like the husband and the, you know, her fiancé is going to turn against her at some point because there's going to be some type of misunderstanding, miscommunication, and naturally, like, there is one small moment that kind of sways him towards the end of the flick, but then he just, you know, he goes full force at the end of the movie, and you're just like, oh, well, 
that solves that situation. And then, did you see the ending coming? Did you see that final scene, like, happening? Did you expect that to happen? I wasn't sure. I was happy not to know if if it was going to turn out to be that these people were right about their deal with this devil. Right, and I don't, just I don't necessarily want to spoil it. I didn't, I thought it could have gone either way, and I might have preferred it if it went a different way than it did, but I still thought it was a fine way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I personally loved the way it ended, because, um... They had just said, like, along the lines of, in the in the plot, that, you know, other families that had made this pledge in the past that weren't, that, that grew out of tradition and stopped doing what they signed on the line for, um, ended up dying in terrible accidents, they said, like, the, the, the last family they heard of died in a fire, and I was just like oh, well, like, the house is already on fire and no one's paying attention to it, so part of me thinks that this is just going to end exactly like the other family is going to end, and they're just going to assume they died because of the fire when really something else is going to happen. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, the, um, the Cabin in the Woods part of it in my head is mainly just, like, the bombastic big fucking ending mixed with the kind of meta-humor where you can't really... Like, things are stereotyped to go one way, but they don't just follow the stereotype. Like, the one character has a really good redemption arc, um, because he watched someone he kind of liked die as a kid, and then um, he chooses to kind of help this bride because he's just sick of them killing like, good people, and then he ends up getting fucking murdered for it. Like, it comes back biting him in the ass. Yeah, there there are a couple good twists and turns. Um, I, I loved the house. I remember, like, as I was watching it, I was trying to kind of, like, put together a map of the house in my head, and I couldn't really do it. It was just this illustrious mansion with really big, great, like, walls and, like, stuff always. I was always looking in the back of the scenes, like, looking at what was on the walls and what was, like, on the shelves and shit. And, and then they had the secret doors and the dumb Yes, leader. There's all had, sorts of stuff going they on They had secret the uh, entrances and exits um, that they would use to get around to kill people faster um, back in the old days. Um uh, to keep, when the family was larger and, uh, they needed to give more sacrifices, um, to appease Satan, and, um, yeah, I just, I, I think, uh, if anyone liked anything, we just said that you should give it a shot. Go check it out. I, I do want to get into a short discussion about the reason we're really here, because we had initially started talking earlier this week about Rob Zombie. You had mentioned that you wouldn't say he's, like, the greatest director, but you've seen everything he's made, and you definitely like some of the stuff he has. You you said he has more movies you like than you dislike. Yeah. What, um, I, I usually find the opinion I'm looking for when I ask someone what they thought about Lords of Salem. I thought it was good. I only saw it once. It definitely has a European vibe that I liked, and... It's a movie where story is absolutely secondary to emotion and v visually what's going on. 
but uh, it was a, a bit of a departure for him. There was no redneck stuff, which I didn't mind that sitting out for one movie. Right. I actually think Lords of Salem is one of his best-crafted movies. I liked it. I have to see it again. I, I haven't seen it since it was in the theater. That movie had me guessing all the way. And I and I actually really liked the pacing. A lot of people say it's a slow burn. I remember being completely okay with the imagery and having to just kind of sit through the imagery to, to get to the end. Which, of course, is a really kinetic fucking sequence of events for the end of that movie. Very surreal imagery. Very cool shit going on. Um, but, you know, the first movie people tend to see when they think of Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, which I think is actually kind of an annoying movie in, in my head. No, I like that one a lot. <laughs> a lot of people love House of a Thousand Corpses, and I'm not, I'm not trying to bash it. I just don't like it compared to his other stuff. Um, I think the awareness factor is a little... Um, just a little too much for some sequences. I think the, I don't think Rain Wilson or Chris Hardwick are particularly good in it either, and I think they're kind of annoying. <laughs> like none of the characters. I think here's my here's my problem with House of a Thousand Corpses. I don't really like anyone. The only person I like is Spalding. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I like him. I felt bad for those kids. They just were trying to nah. get in from the rain. Nah. And they get attacked by these people, so... Yeah, but like then they were rude. And... But then, like, the family's trying to help them, but also fuck around with them. Like, they didn't know that they were gonna get killed. At that point, it's just a weird, eccentric, redneck family. Yeah. And they were being rude. And they were, like, making fun of them and saying, like, mean shit. So... Yeah, they were kind of mean. I just kept imagining that it was really Chris Hardwick, and he was just doing that after... Getting home from doing singled out. Like, this is what he does next. He goes on a trip with his friends. And then gets murdered. So I automatically liked him from the beginning. Um, yeah, I I didn't really root for any character. I think... Well, maybe that's why they decided to focus on the bad guys in the next movie. Well, I love Devil's Rejects. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think Devil's Rejects is one of his best movies. Yeah, I, th I like it best. I like that, and then House of a Thousand Corpses second. And I like how different they are, even though yeah, they're not no, the same Yeah, no, I'd characters. still, out of the three, I would still go Devil's House 3. Well, nobody's going to like 3 from Hell best. That's in, that's not possible. And it's it's tough. I, I mean, we we got to go in order, though. Um, so House of a Thousand Corpses, there are some weird avant-garde, like, experimental sequences in House of a Thousand Corpses that, like, people don't really do. Like, just throwing in clips from, like, the 30s or 40s or even, like, sound bites. Like, the movie's sound is very interesting. Like, House of a Thousand Corpses has a very interesting sound work throughout the entire movie. And not, not even, like, counting the soundtrack. Like, I'm just talking, like, the way the sound... Like, like whenever that grandpa comes on, they just pump that fucking audio up yeah. and he just screams... And you're just like, ah! And, like, babies fucking laugh in, like, every goddamn scene. And and I'm not gonna shit on Sherry. I actually like Sherry in most of the movies, but Sherry and Sherry as Baby, like, arguably her most popular character, like, eat a dick. Like, I can't handle her. Oh, I disagree. 
I can't Baby Firefly is great. I can't handle Baby in the first movie. <laughs> Baby, I think Baby's great in Devil's Rejects, and I think Baby is even better in Three from Hell. Yeah. In Three from Hell, she's like finally a character. She to, is. To she me. is probably the best thing about. She the is movie. the best. She is absolutely the best part of that movie. Um, so, I think Otis continually gets worse in quality. I mean, he's really. He's really outspoken in House of Thousand Corpses, and in two, he's almost like the like he's the lead, pretty much the ringmaster. Yeah, yeah, like he he takes on a lot in Devil's Rejects, and his dialogue is written really well in that film. In the first movie, he's kind of just a a stereotype, you know, belligerent yelling at all the characters. In the second one, like the shit he says is near like prophetic. Like, he's trying to, like, say... He's trying to, like, actually say something to these characters in the second one, like, when they're about to die. And then in the third um, one, every sentence ends with the word motherfucker. Right. And that gets tiring fast. <laughs> right. Now he's just... Now he's just a Charles Manson knockoff in Three from Hell. He just does nothing but just go, eh, I'm crazy, eh. Pretty much. And it's it's not Otis. It's not really Otis in my head. Him with age, I just thought would be funnier. And he's not very funny in the third movie. No. Um, the shit he said in Devil's Rejects is actually pretty funny. So, House of Thousand Corpses comes out. A lot of people love it. It has a pretty crazy fucking feel to it. No, I, I don't know if there's ever been, like, a movie with that, like, feel at the time when it came out. Like, it was very Grindhouse, very nostalgic, um, but at the same time it was, like, metal and rednecky and tortury and, you know, I, I just can't really associate it to anything else in my head at the time. And I didn't actually see it until I was in high school, even though it came out, I think, way sooner than that. And, um, I didn't think it was anything amazing, but it's grown on me each time I've rewatched it, which is probably five or six times. And I had read about it a lot before I saw it. I'd read about it when it was made by Universal, fucking... and it was supposed to come out wide. Then they had to take it back to the MPAA so many times to get an R rating. Then Universal got rid of it. Then everybody's wondering, is it even going to come out? So then when it played in a theater around here... And I could actually go see it. I was really surprised and happy. And then I went to see it. And everything you read about was that it was just going to be this 90 minutes of sadism. And you go to see the movie and there's actual humor and style An to plot. it. Right. And it is gory and disturbing, but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, so that's the movie Universal was too scared to release even? And I, kind of I thought it, it was it was a good time. Um it's a lot of it's old fashioned, but then it's also edited in a very modern way. Yeah, um, it was just an interesting movie, and I wasn't per like a, a huge fan of Rob Zombie's music. Like I thought it was all right, but I didn't have too much knowledge of him or preconceptions, except that I've been reading about it for a long time and really sure. hoped it would be something that wouldn't let me down. And then I think I liked it even more when I saw it again. 
it just became a good one to watch every Halloween, or eh, maybe not every Halloween. No, every, but it's a good one that pops Halloween's. up every once in a while. Yeah, it's good. For no, that I time agree, of year. and I'm actually excited. Um, my brothers and I are going to Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, and yeah. they they announced that this year they're doing a House of a Thousand Corpses house. Which is pretty funny, because Universal their... didn't even release it. <laughs> right. And now they're doing a theme park A theme park for maze for it. All right. Yeah, it's uh, Stranger Things, Creep Show, Ghostbusters, Us, House of Thousand Corpses, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's a pretty weird and eclectic collection of films. It is. But I'm excited to experience all of those haunted houses. I'm going to shit my pants. I bet. Um, yeah, let's talk about Devil's Rejects a little bit. I think um, what I love about Devil's Rejects is how it almost feels like uh, the anti-hero movie. It is like you follow the bad guys the entire time. You see them get driven out of their homes, forced onto the road, like dogs, like a, a cornered wolf, you know, backed into a corner where they don't have any resources, you know, how does a killer act in that situation? And they just, the fireflies make it look so fucking easy. <laughs> like, they just roll with shit, and it just works. And now, I mean, that's the biggest downfall with the third movie, is just like, none of the stuff they're doing is making any sense and it's still working. Whereas I felt like Devil's Rejects made them look tactical, made them look smart. Right. Um, you know, it didn't feel so off the cuff in a, well, I don't fucking know what we're doing. Let's just do this. Let's just go here. No, like they had a plan. They knew that if they ever get caught, they'd meet here, that they'd have this person to respond to, that they'd have this person to count on, that they could always get help here. You know, like, they just had what felt like a plan. And I think it's great when that plan kind of ebbs and flows and either works or changes or alters, and I just thought Devil's Rejects was just crafted really well because it, I don't know, it's kind of like a Western from, like, a shitty point of view. It's like, there's the fallout, there's the having to sit on the road and kind of chase down the bad guy moments, and then there's, like, the shootout. And I just remember, like, thinking, like, when was the last time we watched a horror movie about the bad guys the entire time, and then the film actually ends with the bad guys getting fucking shot to death? It's like, nothing exists like that. Mm. I was just thinking about it the other day, like, every fucking Halloween ends with Mike Myers getting fucking riddled with bullets, and then they, they turn around for two seconds, and they're like, oh, what's that over there? Let's have a discussion. Let's look back at the body. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, Devil's Rejects really has... The ending is like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> they just go out in a hail of bullets, and that final scene in Devil's Rejects is so well done... <laughs> and the Leonard Skinner's never had a better visual accompaniment. And so for Rob Zombie to bring these dead characters back, he had a good reason to do it. He saw a new story he had to tell that could only involve these guys. So he said, you know what? <laughs> We've got to bring them back. We'll come up with a great explanation for how they aren't dead. 
And then he made his masterpiece, Three from Hell. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> you don't want to talk about it, do you? No, I mean, uh, it, it just it seems like there would have to be a good reason to bring these guys back. And there well, wasn't, because all they do in Three from Hell is a retread of what they did in Devil's Rejects, but except, with less sense, like you worse. said. And, uh, worse. <laughs> and the, the night that I saw Fathom Events Night 2, he, in the afterwards in the behind the scenes documentary, Rob Zombie was saying that he knew that if he was to bring these characters back, he'd have to have a good explanation for them surviving. He wouldn't just bring them back with no explanation. And I said to my friend sitting next to me, Did we just see the same movie? Isn't that exactly what happened? He didn't he bring him back to life through a voiceover? Yeah. <laughs> there was no good explanation. Yeah. They didn't even... These guys didn't look like they'd taken a bunch of bullets in the chest and neck and right. shoulders. <laughs> right. Uh, there was no explanation. And then, to make it worse, he has Sid Haig's character survive getting shot full of holes, only, only to, to have him die in a voiceover five minutes only into get, three from hell. Only to get, what, the chair or lethal injection? Yeah, they bring him back. For, I mean, they brought him back so that Sid Haig, Sid Haig was supposed to be in the movie. He was supposed to be one of the three from hell. But he was sick and in poor health and couldn't do it. So last minute, Rob Zombie wrote in the Richard Brake character. And I love Richard him. Brake, but it's just such a pointless fucking role. But then he was able to get Sid Hagen for one day and so he shot his scenes with him but and it's nice he did that but there's it's the most pointless cameo in the history of cameos yeah. all he does is come back just to die shortly after right all off screen then also off screen Otis escapes the prison truck a lot of all stuff happens stuff off screen <laughs> all the stuff I wanted to see were not shown yeah and then they set up a a bad guy or a, an antagonist for Otis in the Danny Trejo character that's horribly done. And then when it comes back later, it's still just the poorest writing possible to make right. this a, a plot point. It's, it follows, it, it falls on stereotypical, like shit pulled from other movies. Like, it feels like he watched a bunch of Robert Rodriguez movies and said, oh, Mexico. And then just followed all those stereotypes. And now, Fortunately, the minor characters are as good as always. So a lot of the, the enjoyment I got from this movie and the reason that it, it wasn't boring, it's two hours of nonsense, but somehow it's not boring. And a lot of that is due to these minor characters. Who'd you um, like? I, I can't remember the actors' names, but my favorite character in the movie was the guy who owns the whorehouse in Mexico that they go stay at, that twitchy guy. Yeah. And I can't remember the actor's name, but I've seen him in other things before as well. And he's just absolutely hilarious every time he's on yeah. the screen. And then there's a, one of his employees, a little person, who befriends Baby. Baby. Since Rob Zombie's never going to write a love scene in a movie for his wife right. with a man, Baby has always been pretty much asexual it seems to me and in this movie one of the whores in the whorehouse is hitting on her trying to see if she might go that way and baby pretty much says yeah i might if i was interested but i'd rather you know sit here and have a very platonic conversation with this other fellow right and so and that guy was very interesting i liked him a lot um i didn't know that clint howard was in the movie until the end credits and i found out that he was the clown 
The clown shows oh, up. Oh, I knew who that was. And yeah. the scene is pointless. But it's pretty bad. It's, it's Clinton Howard going nuts in a clown suit. And before I realized it was him, I still liked the clown. I just thought, I was oh, very, it, I wanted him from a different movie. I was very upset how that clown was treated. <laughs> oh, it was... I thought that Otis would have had a little bit more respect for clowns because of his pops. But, uh, not really. Still fucking hate clowns. He hates him. Yeah, I know, but his dad just died. You'd think he would... I mean, you think he would You're been. saying that Captain Spaulding's his father? Yeah, isn't he? I thought he was his older brother. Nah, baby calls him daddy in, like, every scene. Really? In Devil's Rejects, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I always thought that they were all brother and sister. No, Spaulding is, Spaulding is their father. Huh. Yeah, I feel kind of stupid. No, that's okay. I, I watched Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses before I got to before I went and saw Three from Hell. And mm. I, as I was watching House of a Thousand Corpses, I was sitting there going, oh, okay, well, the mom's kind of a whore. Like, literally. Yeah. And all of her kids were probably fathered by different men. Well, Baby very specifically calls Spalding Daddy in the second movie, and she's not, and she's not being, like, fasci- fas- uh, facetious. Facetious. When she says it, she's not being mocking. She's that's interesting. When they call him, they go, "Daddy, where are you at?" And like, he's just like, oh, "I'll be there. I'll be there, you know, in a, in a fucking whenever I get there, darling." And like, they are very specifically like, "The family's dead, Daddy. The family's dead. You know, we're on the road. We're on the run. They're gonna come for you, Daddy." Yeah, I guess you're right. And he's all like, "Ah, oh, fuck, kids," and you know, like, obviously he's not he would and never get married as a character and let alone would he ever be stuck down to like one woman but it makes sense that mama firefly and spalding ran into each other at some point and, and got together and then you look at the family album in devil's rejects and realize that there are a bunch of pictures of spalding at the house yeah so you're just like oh okay so i hadn't really thought about it i just always assumed he was their older brother well, that well, that's the line, and and that's kind of where I rolled my eyes with Richard Brake's character in Three from Hell. Is they, he's their brother. They write him in as a half brother that the mom yeah. gave birth to, um, and the dad, uh, the, the, it was a different father. So Spalding was not Wolf's dad, but but uh, they had the same mom. Um, which Foxy, is, which is. Yeah, that was Foxy. His prison nickname. Foxy was his real yeah. name. Foxy was his real nickname. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Night Wolf was his prison nickname. And um I liked the character. I liked how he was written. I thought he was funny. I liked Richard Brake. As mentioned, I thought 31 was a mess of a film. Oh yeah. But uh I thought Richard Brake was the best part of the movie. His kind of monologues about life and death before he would knife people was just great. Ba- Baby is the best character in Three from Hell. Um, she kind of becomes... Well, she she kind I mean, there was stuff that pissed me off about how easy they made it to Mexico and how all the best stuff happens off screen. You know, um, like we already said, like... Spalding dies off screen. Otis breaks out off screen. 
they all survive the 20 bullets off screen. Baby gets out of the hospital, or out of the, the jail, breaks out of jail off screen. You know, we only get three different contexts for this film. It only takes place in three different parts. There is the jail, the guys, the, the warden's house, and Mexico. There's that one little in-between motel where they come up with Mexico as an idea of where to go, but it's like ten minutes, so I'm not even going to count it. The segments in the warden's house I thought were kind of pointless. I would have much rather seen them all break out of jail and just meet up at the motel, skip the warden scenes completely, and just have the beginning be about Wolf or Foxy and Otis breaking baby out of jail. Yeah. I, I They were trying to do the Devil's Rejects thing where they take up residence torture with, a family with people and, and torture a family and kill kill innocent people and then, you know, murder someone on someone's lawn. They're trying to do that thing again. Fair. Then they get to the motel and then they come up they kind of haphazardly come up with uh going to Mexico. And then Mexico becomes the next forty five minutes of the film. And there's nothing to look at there's nothing great going on. They filmed it in the middle of fucking nowhere. And it just kind of feels cheap and played out. Like, we've watched this movie a, a number of times already. And, um... The only thing that really pissed me off after that point... Was how they never got shot anymore. There was no stakes. Everyone just... You know that they're not gonna die. Everyone that comes their way just dies for some reason... And then Baby, you know, uses a bow and arrow perfectly well to kill six men. And that's where I was, like, kind of done with the movie. <laughs> I was like, she has never fired a bow and arrow in her life, but she thinks because she can wear a headdress and look cool that her husband's going to film her killing six people, trained cartel with auto rifles, uh, with a bow and arrow. And that's where I had to say, nope, I'm good. I liked before that, after they got into town, when they were in the bar and were told that, oh, what's going on out back of the bar? Well, that's just the boys getting ready for the annual knife-throwing contest. <laughs> what a fortuitous time for the three from hell to roll into town. A knife-throwing contest! Yeah. And so Baby goes out there, and these guys... I do like that scene. Th well, I like it too, but... There's no need for it whatsoever. Nothing happens that you don't expect. So these two guys laugh at her. She's a woman. Fine, you want to lose your money? We'll play against you. They throw pretty well. Then she gets an absolute bullseye. Yeah. And then we never see those two shit kickers again. Mm -hmm. Baby goes and has some drinks. There's just... It's just a scene that you've seen a million times. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, now here's a scene where she... And you know what? Doesn't. In Mexico, they really don't even kill anyone. They literally just go to Mexico and then stay there. Yeah. So, like, the Devil's Rejects escape and then don't do evil shit where they're at. But then, because of that throwaway scene earlier in the movie with Danny Trejo... With Danny Trejo, the cartel is now after them. They come looking for him. You know, they get, they get a bunch of people to kill. And one final scene where it's a, a team of men with auto rifles keep holding their punches and misfiring... 
on three rather helpless rednecks. Yeah, it's kind of. A, I mean, it's a shootout, like they do at the it's end. It's a of terrible Devil's shootout. Jets. It's terrible. Uh, I thought that I thought the movie overall was pretty enjoyable. It wasn't boring. No. When I saw that it was 122 minutes long, I went, "Yeez, Jesus, really!" But it wasn't long. It, it wasn't, wasn't long. too long. It was entertaining, but just it was pointless. And it does kind of tarnish the ending of Devil's Rejects a little bit. So all in all, I think for me, it, absolutely, I think it it's more negative than good. Ultimately, as its own movie, it's fine, and visually, it's interesting. He can do a lot with his small budget that he had. I think he's gotten better at making movies. Yeah, and it it really looks like a grainy 16mm movie, and I believed it. And then in the behind the scenes, you saw that, no, he did shoot it digitally, and then they mucked it up and converted it to 16 and back to digital. It looks great, though. It, it yeah, really they kind does. of output it and then reconverted it and output it to kind of give it that aged Beat look. Beat it up a bit. It looks yeah. great. They did a good job with it. Yeah, when you but take story, something digital and break it down that much and then try to parse it back together, it definitely gives you a, a weird after effect. Um, yeah, no. Um, I think everyone kind of wanted... Um, everyone kind of wanted something crazy to be the reason that they survived, you know. They should have died. And then I think everyone in some way wanted them to just almost mystically show back up like like the devil didn't want them. Whether or not you had scenes with demons or the devil or whatever, everyone just, I think, expected that these characters would have had some supernatural reason for still existing. You know, if... If Jason can get a metal pole stuck through his chest and then struck by lightning and it makes his heart start working again and his body just kind of gets up out of the grave, then surely, you know, the ground could have opened up and in flames, like, three people get kicked out of hell. And, uh, it's just like, why? And it's like, well, they're making hell, like, fucking hard to live. <laughs> like, hard to be around. They're too hard to handle. And then the plot is literally about these people being unkillable for a different reason. Not because they're lucky, not because they keep playing their fucking cards, you know, off the cuff and hard to predict, but because literally not even the devil wants them. And, uh... I think we all just kind of expected that. I think we we knew that Zombie could get gnarly... If he wanted to, we saw the Doctor Satan scenes. We know that that's that that airs on the side of supernatural shit. I think we all just expected something in that department to happen to be the reason why these guys survived. And I remember even watching the um, the trailer, thinking that some of the imagery we were seeing almost could have been hell, like his interpretation of hell. And, nope, it's just Mexico. Yeah. And, um... That... Uh, for a movie to immediately start you with disappointment... Probably not a good move. Um, miraculously survived 20 bullets apiece. And now we're just gonna cut away and show you that they're perfectly fine. Maybe not the best choice of how to progress characters from a 
from a film where they literally just got riddled with bullets and they're left lifeless and one of the greatest scenes in a horror mm-hmm. movie I can think of. That, yeah. that Freebird scene is genuinely the reason I like Je- Devil's Rejects. Like, if it didn't end that way, that movie would not be as good. But because it ends that way, that movie is great. There just is no justification in the new movie for altering that, how that ended. They just still exist. Yeah. And that's it. And, and, you know, it's not a bad movie. Like you said, it's not bad. You you put it pretty pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> I I agree with your thoughts. It it is worth seeing for people who like zombie, for people who liked House of a Thousand Corpses, and people who like Devil's Rejects. It is worth watching. Does it tarnish Devil's Rejects or the tenure of Rob Zombie? A little bit. Um, was it necessary? Absolutely not. Um. But that is not to say that it is not a movie. It is not competent. I think the only scene that had me scratching my head and wondering why it was ever included was the cat scene. With the uh, the ballerina cat in the dream sequence when baby's in jail. That had me going. No. <laughs> could have just cut it. <laughs> there was definitely stuff that could have been cut. There's yeah, yeah I mean absolutely. I mean there's a lot of stuff that could have been cut but I I looked at that scene and I said why wasn't that cut <laughs> uh, she's just meowing at the floor it's and just to a, show how crazy baby has become we don't we don't need fucking she proof. was sort of crazy <laughs> we've watched before. two movies of proof now she sees a cat in a ballerina costume <laughs> so it felt like a David Lynch those who were coming to the movie thinking maybe all these years later baby has Cleared up some of the fog in her mind. Maybe you she's on that, the straight and You think narrow. people came into this movie thinking she's that? She's like, you know, working in the commissary in jail. And <laughs> writing a book, autobiography. Yeah, I'm like really smart now. <laughs> she's with Jesus. I love Jesus. <laughs> As it turns out, no, she's getting weirder and there's cats in ballerina costumes. We didn't need proof. We should have always expected Baby to act like Baby, and that's exactly what she did. She talked about fucking a lot of people and killed him instead, and that's just what she does. That's what she does, that's true. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you've watched recently? No, I'm told to watch that French series, Marianne, on Netflix. Actually, someone yesterday just recommended that to me as well. And and I did watch the first episode of the new American Horror Story. They always start out good, so we'll see where it goes. But so far, it's, you know, inspired by 80s slasher movies. So I ah, did enjoy the first I didn't episode. Know that yep, there's one episode out as of us talking about it, so... Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. I do like the 80s, and I do like slashers. Me too. <clears throat> Those are things that we like. Um, oh, also on Netflix, because they've been really doing well with the original horror stuff lately. Uh, <clears throat> we Have Always Lived in the Castle, Shirley Jackson adaptation with Alexandra Daddario, Tessa Farmiga, the guy who plays Bucky in Captain America. Sebastian Stan. Yep, I can never remember his name. And Crispin Glover. So I would check that one out. It was good. Well, I liked Hill House. Uh, Haunting of Hill House, and that was Shirley Jackson, I believe. Yep. Um, not that it, not that the Netflix show is anything like the book, but um, yeah, man. 
I will check both of those out. Someone told me to check out Marianne. Um, so I already knew I was going to check that out, but I will actually watch that other one. Um, what's it called? We Have Always Lived in the Castle. We Have Always Lived in the Castle. The title just reminded me a little bit of We Are Still Here. Have you seen that? Yeah, that was good. I liked that a lot. Um, yeah, man. How, how, uh, how'd you feel talking about these spooky, spooky movies? I felt really nice. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you like not having to read anything? Yeah, I did. Yeah, man. It was nice not to have to read for a change. <laughs> every, every time I'm on Open. this podcast, I have to read a bunch of stuff. And yeah, man. This time I didn't have to read anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, I love to read stuff. He really does like to read, so he's being an ass. But the, uh, uh, well, the next episode we'll read some stories. Um, oh, guess we'll go find out what that is. Five O's here. Um, I... I like to talk to people about horror movies. Our last horror movie review episode did really well. So that's the reason we did this one. And um, I hope people, you know, continue to like listening to us babble about horror films. Um, Because I'm sure Mark Rooster and I are going to continue babbling about horror films. And, you know, next time we'll read some stories. But, you know, babbling about horror films is just one thing we do best with one another. And maybe. <laughs> and what? why did you start laughing already? I didn't say anything. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for you to say <laughs> and something. And maybe. <laughs> no, I was uh, actually just killing time while I looked up to find out that Billy Crystal is 71. <laughs> so I was one year off. Uh, yeah, but you gambled over, so you lose. No. It's next. It's without going over. No, we're playing my rules. <laughs> my rules, you always want to go over. Two to the one, to the one to the three. I like good pussy and I like good tree. Smoke so much weed, you wouldn't believe. And I get more ass than a toilet seat. Three to the one, to the one to the three. I met a bad bitch last night in the D. Let me tell you how I'm going to leave with me. Conversation and hate.